Well, Father, that is the greatest and most glorious truth of all time. There are none that can touch that, none that compare to that, that Jesus Christ is exalted over all, over every principality and authority that we see here on earth and in the heavenly realms. Father God, Jesus Christ, the name above all names, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is that one day, Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that the name above all names, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray right now that we would continue to get a taste of what is in store. God, would you continue to meet with us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come, have your way. Do the convicting work. Do the refreshing work. Do the humbling work. Do the strengthening work. God, I pray that you would find a church that takes your word seriously that aren't like those who just look in a mirror and then forget what they look like, but God, who eagerly and and expectantly and humble themselves under your authority right now and say, speak, Lord, your servant's listening. Speak, speak to me. I don't want to go away here the same person as when I came in. I need you to change me. Father, show us your glory. Lord, I pray that would be the cry of our heart. Show us your glory right now. Show us where what is stealing your glory in our lives, that we would willingly, eagerly, lay that down, joyfully lay that down to see your glory. So Father, guard my mouth from error. Say what you want to say and have your way in this place. Protect your house, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Good morning, church. It is such a privilege by the grace of our Lord to be able to come into his house and worship as the body of Christ here this morning. Today is kind of a bittersweet day in that today is the final message out of our series on 1 John that we've done since September, verse by verse, word by word, walking through the entire book. And today we wrap up with what is a tremendous climax to everything that John has been writing up until this point. But before we jump into the movie, I want to give you a look at what's coming up in two weeks from now, where we start our next sermon series. We're heading into a brand new series on the Beatitudes. You'll see it up here from Matthew 5, and it's called Blessed, A Journey Through the Beatitudes. And it's going to be answering the question, I hear this so often, how do I know I'm living in the way that God promises to bless and step with the Spirit? How do I know what God wants for me, what he wants for my life, what he wants for my family, what he wants for my children in the workplace? We're going through it. Buckle up, here we go. Our hearts that God is looking for and by which we follow him in obedience. I can't wait for that. It's gonna be so exciting. And that's gonna take us right up to Good Friday. Right, jump into Good Friday. Yeah, not a coincidence. All right, and so I would ask right now that you would be, over the next few weeks, uh, asking the Lord to prepare your heart for how he wants to use message ever preached by Jesus Christ himself. We're gonna look at... The first part of that in detail. Can't wait for that. All right, so let's jump into the intro of 1 John uh, this morning. And the title of this morning's message is so fitting as John has been moving us towards this part, living with certainty. Living with certainty. 1 John 5, 18 to 21. You're going to want a copy of God's word in front of you today. So if you do not yet have a copy, put up your hand because you're going to want to follow along. And our ushers are coming forward right now to drop a copy of God's word in your lap. And then if you do not have a Bible at home, please make sure that you keep that as a gift for you so that you can continue to study God's word on your own. 1 John 5, 18 to 21. Hands up nice and high. We don't want to miss anybody. All right, And as you're turning there, I have a question for you this morning, and it is this. We hear that term certainty all the time, we hear, and, and we can maybe think we have it down, but let me ask you a question. Do you live with the certainty that what God says is true? Not just in your head, but hey, does your life reflect that? The certainty that what God says is true for parenting, For you as an employee or an employer, for you as a student, for you as a spouse, for you as a single, does your life reflect a life lived with certainty that yes, what God says is true and is the best option always? 
That's a sobering question. Do you live with the certainty when you're faced with the trials that come, the temptations? How about then? Do we reflect a certainty that we're going to stand in faith and what God says is true or does the anxiety and the worry and the fear start to take over? So let, just to make sure we're on the same page, let's get a def- definition of what certainty actually means. Okay, Certainty is this from dictionary.com. This is something that is known for sure or established beyond a doubt. Known for sure. Just look at God's word in front of you right now and say, do I know this is established without a doubt and I know it for sure? Is that reflective in how I live? And you say, well, why is this even important today? Why, that we bank everything on this, that we, that we have the certainty that God's way, as Psalm 1830 says, this God, his way is perfect and every word of the Lord proves true and it is a shield for those who take refuge in it. Why is that even important that we have that certainty? Here's why. Problem today, we live in a society that says truth can be whatever you make it. Truth can be whatever you make it. Truth is, in fact, relative to what you want it to be. What do you want to be true? This makes living with certainty of what is true distorted because what one person says is true isn't what another person is saying is true. It's this mentality. Have you heard this before? What's true for you is true for you. If that's working for you, there you go. But that works for you. That doesn't work for me. Here's what's true for me. Where's the truth? Where's the truth? And this same mindset has been invading the church and distorting the truth of God's word in it. And as such, many Christians are living without certainty in the truth and power of the gospel and are being deceived, discouraged, and ultimately led astray by the evil one because of it. The culture, there's too much world in the church and not enough church in the world. Amen? It's distorting the truth of the gospel with which we bank everything on. And so this is why John is devoting this entire final chapter that we've looked at over the last three weeks and now here in the fourth, this entire final chapter to leaving the believers in the church with assurance of their faith in Christ and the certainty that it means for their lives. Let's do a quick recap. Verses one to five. I wish I had a a slide for this. Didn't think of that till this morning, but here you go. Verses one to five. John gives certainty that believers have overcome the world through faith in Christ alone. That was verses one to five. Okay, John gives us that certainty that we've overcome the world. All right, and then verses 6 to 12, he gave certainty of who Christ is as the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And he used the three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. See, the certainty push again. And now last week, verses 13 to 17, he gave certainty that God answers the prayers of his people. Powerful weekend last weekend, amen. Yes. He gave certainty that God answers the prayers of his people. Now here in verses 18 to 21... Guess what he's going to do again? Anyone? Anyone? Give certainty. Certainty. In the climax of his letter, John gives us the three final life-changing, life-giving certainties that every true follower of Christ must live with and stand on in faith if they are to stay faithful in their walk with Christ. Get ready. This is power-packed. Here we go. Okay? Let's stand in honor of the authority of God's word. Let's stand to read it together. 1 John chapter 5, starting at verse 18. John finishes his letter with this. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come, and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And all God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. Well, if I am in Christ, here it is, and that's a big, that's a big statement right there. If I am in Christ, Christ alone, I can be certain. Certainty number one is this, I am protected by Christ. I am protected by Christ. Look at verse 18. John says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not 
keep on sinning. Okay, the word know there, remember, if you recall from the Greek, John's used it many times throughout this book. The word know there means to be certain of. Okay, insert it back in to, this, to the verse. It says, we can be certain of the truth that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. You see, this enforces the certainty that if we have truly been born of God, that is saved through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we will not make a practice of sinning. It is impossible for the true believer to continue to make a practice of sinning, an ongoing, unchecked, unrepentant sin. He emphasized this earlier in his letter. You say, how do you know that? Look at 1 John 3, 9. You'll see it on the screen. No one born of God, that is, is a child of God, a true child of God, makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed, that is the new nature of the very nature of God himself, the seed of God, abides in him. And he cannot, I love that word, cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. Okay, so... In a world that says truth is relative, we live in a world that says sin is relative. So let's get a clear definition of what God says sin is, all right? The Greek word for sin here is this, to miss the mark. To miss the mark, doing what God says is wrong and against his word, disobedience to God's word. That's sin. And if you recall, let's get a little clarity here. John is not saying here that if someone's a genuine follower of Christ, they're going to live in sinless perfection. Man, am I ever glad about that. Amen? Like, multiple times a day. Right? It's, he's not saying you're going to live in sinless perfection, but rather that the, the true follower of Christ will continually sin less. Get it? Not sinless. You're going to sin less as they persevere by the power of Christ and more, grow more into the image of Christ. They more and more reflect the character of God in their lives and the character of God has no sin. So you're going to be sinning less. Now, we're not going to be perfect until the other side of eternity. But we sin less as we grow more into his image. And then John gives the just absolutely mind-blowing reason for the Christians increasing victory in the fight against sin. Here it is, ready? Jesus Christ himself, the Son of God, is protecting them. Look at back half of verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. Now, notice there in the back half of verse 18, but he who was born of God. Who's he talking about? He's not talking about us anymore. But he who was born of God. Past tense. Who's he talking about there? He's emphasizing Jesus Christ. He's emphasizing the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's what it means to be born of God, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary. There's Christmas. Conceived of the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary and becoming fully man at the same time staying fully God so that he could come to earth and die for our sin and live a perfect life and pay the penalty for our sin that you and I deserved. This is the glorious truth of the gospel is that you and I had no hope without this. We have no hope without this. And everyone say, it's not like, hey, Jesus didn't come to earth so we could say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, you know, come to earth as fully God and, and then become fully man and then die a brutal death on a cross for you so that you can have me on the side of your life. Just I'll get a little Jesus time today, but I'm still going to love the world. He's like, I came to save you from hell. That's where you're going without me. Can I make it any clearer? That God himself would see that we have no hope without him and become a man so that we could have life in him. It is by his power at work in the lives of those who have confessed him as their Lord and Savior that he is now protecting them against the evil one. Who's the evil one? Who's the evil one? He's not talking about government. He's not talking about your neighbor that lost a temper with you. Okay? He's not talking about your kids. He's talking about Satan, the arch enemy of God. 
Now the word protect there, we have to understand this. What does that word protect mean? The Greek means this, to keep guard or watch over the believer so that the devil cannot touch them. If you are in Jesus Christ, you are a child of God, he is literally keeping watch over you vigilantly and guarding you to protect you. That the enemy, the evil one, cannot touch you. What does that term touch mean at the end of verse 18? The evil one does not touch him. Here's what it means. The enemy cannot lay to lay a hold of or assail you with intent to harm you, causing permanent spiritual loss. The enemy cannot assail you. He cannot touch you with intent. Why? Because Jesus Christ is over you. And the enemy flees at the name of Jesus Christ. The demons believe the name of Jesus Christ. And James says they shudder. Because Jesus Christ, God himself, is protecting his children. Now think about that for a moment. Just don't let that escape you. Every Christian... If you are born again in Jesus Christ, is assured victory over sin and Satan because of Christ's protection over their lives. You say, well, you got something to back that up? You got something? You bet I do. Let's look at 1 John 4.4. 1 John 4.4, you can look, and I love hearing the pages turn in your Bibles. You also see it on the screen up here. Little children, you are from God. He's talking to believers here. And have overcome them. Who's them? The world. For he... Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, who is in you, is greater than he who's in the world. He's greater than he who is in the world. Believer, believer, no matter what you're facing today, I want to tell you something like this. I want to tell you this. You are being defended by the one who is greater than what you're facing. You are... You are in this moment right now, if you are in Jesus Christ, being defended by the one who is greater than that temptation that's coming at you is greater than that discouragement that is over you, is greater than that fear that is starting to grow. He who is in you is greater and he is protecting you. And this, this was such a freeing truth that came this week. It says, with God's protection over us, we have the provision of his power in us. Oh, come on. Can I just get an amen or something? Is this just me? Yeah, there you go. With God's protection over us, here's what it means. It gives us the provision of God's power in us. Love it. It is the protection and power of God in us through Jesus Christ that breaks the pattern of sin through us. That is why we can't keep on sinning if we're truly born again. Because his power is like, I don't think so, man. Get out of here. Holy Spirit's like, get out. I don't want to be quenched by this. I love how John Newton said this. This is, I love this quote. If the Lord be with us, we have no cause of fear. His eye is upon us, his arm over us, his ear open to our prayer. His grace is sufficient, his promise unchangeable. If God be with us, we have no cause of fear. We live in a world that says you need to be afraid of anyone or anything but God. With God with us, we have no fear. He is protecting, upholding, covering, strengthening his children. And the reality is this. You say, well, wait a second. Why is Satan attacking? Like, why do I feel the attack? Because here's the reality, loved ones. Satan will still tempt us. He's still going to tempt us with fears. He's still going to tempt us with anxiety. He's still going to tempt us with idols and a whole list of temptations, worry, doubt, all this stuff. But because of the protection, and know this, because of the protection and power of Christ, he cannot have his way with us unless we choose to give him influence or a voice into our lives. He can't have his way. He can talk, but he can't touch he can chirp, but he can't touch. He can tempt, but he can't touch. If you are protected, why? Because you are protected by the Son of God. There is no, see what happens right there? You ever heard this expression before? The devil made me do it. Not if you're a child of God. You chose to. He can't touch you. 
He can tempt you, but he can't touch you. And know this, no matter, how hard, no matter how hard the temptation is, no matter how hard the struggle with sin gets, know this. One commentary put it this way. He is well kept whom Christ keeps. The enemy of souls cannot lay a hold of him. He assaults, but he cannot seize. Yes. He assaults, he tempts, but he cannot seize you. Question, are you living in the certainty of that victory over sin in the protection and power of Christ that you have if you're his child? Are you living under that truth? That though the enemy can tempt, he can't touch. He can't touch. So follow-up question, what area or areas are you choosing to let the enemy have influence and a voice into your life right now? What are those areas? And you're continuing to, to sin in those areas and just continuing to give it here. Here's a couple that came to mind to help us think through this. How about unbelief that what God says is true? The enemy's gonna do anything. He's gonna cast doubt. That's what he does. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. That's all he knows how to do. Twist, distort the truth of God's word. And what God has said, unbelief. What about this? Here's another one, anxiety. What is anxiety? Unbelief. Unbelief that what God says is true. Do we really believe, Philippians 4, here's one example. Philippians 4.19, that my God will supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Do you really believe? And why do we get so anxious about the job hunt? Why do we get so anxious about the missions trip? If God's calling you that, like, the battle is against unbelief. Anxiety is the fruit. The root is unbelief. Here's another one. Fear. Fear of man. Fear of the opinions of others. Which is a form of pride. Here's another one. Worry. Guilt. Condemnation. Negativity. Where's all this coming from? It's not coming from the Lord. I'm going to take that one step further to press this application a little bit. I want you to think of that one thing right now. Look, think of that one thing where you know the enemy's just giving, just pounding you, he's chirping, he's tempting. Where is that area of influence? Where's his voice? Write it down and confess it to the Lord right now, right where you are. Just say, enough. I am protected by the Son of God. He can chirp, he can talk, but he cannot touch. Okay? What is that area right now for you? Freedom, loved ones, is on the other side of obedience. If I am in Christ, I can be certain I'm protected by Christ. Certainty number one today. And the assurance of our protection by Christ comes from the second certainty. The certainty that we belong to Christ. Look at verse 19. The certainty that we belong to Christ. It says this. We know. There's that word certain again. No. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Recall Greek word, no, certainty. Every believer can be certain that they are from God. What does from God mean? You get a lot of people say, I've been sent from God. And I, what does that even mean? From God. Well, let's take a look. The Greek for from God means this, have been born again. You are born again through Jesus Christ by repenting of your sin and confessing him as your Lord and Savior. And you have now become a child of God. That's what it means to be from God. You want to check out certainty of this? You say, well, how do I know I belong to God? How can I even know? Well, because God said, John 1, 12. You'll see it on the screen. I love this. But to all who did receive him, there it is, believe in his name, confess their sin, repent of it, and receive him as their Lord and Savior, he gave the right to become children of God. You have the right. You are adopted as a child of God. Yes. And every believer, remember how we talked about through the book of 1 John? How we've been given assurance, the seal of our salvation through the Holy Spirit? This is the inner assurance. The Holy Spirit continues to affirm this in us. Because he's always pointing, remember like the compass always points to north? The Holy Spirit always points to Jesus. And he's confirming the presence of Christ in our lives as his children. 
And as such, here's what it means. When we are from God, we've become new creations in Christ. And we have been given the freedom and are no longer under the power of Satan, who's been given the rule of this world by God for a time until Christ returns. Satan's on a leash. He's been given rule of this world for a time. It's called the prince of the world. He's referred to throughout scripture. For a time. That day, that end is coming very soon. Praise the Lord. Okay? But he's been given authority for a time. Now, what is the world he's talking about here? We know the whole, we are from God in the whole world. What is the world? Is it a rock? No. He's talking about this. The Greek means this. The world's system. The world's order. The world's priorities. The perspectives that the world says you need to have. That truth is relative. The priorities of the world of doing what works for you ahead of even human life itself. Ahead of following Jesus Christ himself who has the true authority. What does it mean lies in the power of the evil one? So there's the world's order, priorities, the system. It lies in the power of the evil one? Here's what it means. It's in subjection to the devil. This world lies in subjection to the devil. It doesn't mean there's not good things in the world. It doesn't mean you look at a mountain and be like, man, you're part of the devil. No, no, no. Can everyone just agree and say no? Okay, good. God has given and he's made creation glorious and good and it reflects his glory, amen? But it's been distorted and twisted by the fall, by the evil one, that even creation itself is groaning to be redeemed, just like our bodies are, just like our hearts are, as we are part of creation. And so what John reinforces clearly here is that there, you notice what happened? The, the very indication of verse 19. We know that we're from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. There's two types of people in this world. Did you catch that? Did you catch it? There's two types of people. Those who are children of God and those who are children of Satan. Children of the devil. There's two types. Children of God Children of Satan. There, there is no in-between. Yeah, I, I kind of like God, and I'll pay some lips, or yeah, I'll do my God thing on the side, but then I just love the world so much. I'm like, no. There's children of God and children of the devil. There's no in-between. Everyone here in this church today is either one or the other. And even some who claim to be Christians are not. As we've seen all throughout this book, as John has shown us the genuine tests of who are true. So let me ask you a question. Which, are, which one are you? Just straight up loved ones. Love you so much. I, just, I, I love you too much to not ask the question, which one are you? Children of God, children of the devil. Have you confessed Jesus Christ as your personal savior? Knowing that he paid the penalty for your sin on the cross that he might take the wrath of God for you, that you may have new life in him, believe in your heart that you would be saved. And you say, well, wait a second, how, how can I even tell if I'm a child of God? Well, praise the Lord. God's word is so clear. It's just so clear when we really humble ourselves under it. And he tells us this. Look at 1 John 3.10. You'll see it right here. By this it is evident who are the children of God. This is how you know. Who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. What's righteousness? Doing what God says is right in walking in obedience to him by the power of the Spirit. If we're not practicing increasing righteousness, you're not of God. Nor is the one who does not love his brother, one who lays down his life for his brothers and sisters in Christ. We, talked to, we did like three messages on that in this series. You can go back and listen to them online. Because here's the truth. It just makes sense, doesn't it? Children, you notice this? Children will take on the characteristics of their parents. Like father, like son. This is true. You can probably tell who my kids are in this church. They get all their energy from my wife, Natalie. Praise the Lord. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. You can probably tell who they are. Why? Like father, like son. They take on the characteristics of their parents. And all of us here will either increasingly display the character of God increasing in righteousness or the character of Satan increasing in sin and hardening our hearts towards the Lord. There's only one of two ways. 
And as Christians, we are called to live lives of distinction. Everyone say distinction, big word, distinction. That are set apart from this world. What does it mean to be set apart? Holiness, purity, righteousness, doing what God says is right, truth, standing for truth, speaking truth in love, integrity. What do you do when no one's watching? Love, sacrificial love, laying down our lives for one another by the power of Christ. Why are we called to be distinct? Because we're no longer of this world. Heaven is our home. We are citizens of heaven. We're just passing through here now. Yes, and therefore we no longer use its standards for how we live our lives, but we use God's standards as our measure through his word. Why? Because we've been made new. We've been made new and therefore to fight and are therefore to fight against being influenced by the world and its system of standards, priorities, preferences to see the gospel advanced in and through our lives. This is why, hey, loved ones, this is why I've said this a few times, I'll probably say it a couple hundred times more before I'm dead, and it is this. The Christian life is not a playground. It's a battleground. The Christian life isn't a playground. It is a battleground. The devil doesn't want to give you or I an inch. Not in our thought life, not in our jobs, not in our families, not in our parenting, not in our purity, not in our integrity. He's looking to dismantle the credibility of Christ wherever it is advancing. Wherever there is a possibility where someone could look and say, that's true, this isn't. He's looking to discredit it. And you got to realize this, this hit me this week. You realize the devil is at work 168 hours a week on us. How many hours in a week? I know mathematicians, how many hours in a week? 168, spoiler alert. Okay, there's 168 hours in the week and the devil is at work on you and me for every single one of them. To destroy you and I, to destroy our families, to destroy our marriages, to destroy this church, he is at work to do that because there is nothing he hates more than seeing the gospel advanced to seeing marriages restored in righteousness, to seeing couples raising up children in the fear of the Lord. He hates it. And he will work against, I love how Daniel Aiken, commentary, Daniel Aiken said this, by the evil empire under the sway of the evil one opposes with vehemence the advancement of the gospel. He hates who we are and what we are trying to accomplish. This requires on our part a wartime mentality and commitment. This is why Jesus, someone who says, yeah, Jesus is just on my side, I'll get my fix of Jesus, then I'll take the world. You're not getting any of Jesus, man. And this is why knowing for certain that if we are born of God, we have the protection and power of God with us and that he who is in us is truly greater than he who is in the world. Why this? Because without that certainty, we have no hope. But with that certainty, we have no fear. One spectrum to the other. Without the certainty that we are born of God and protected by him, we have no hope. You have no hope. But with it, you have no fear. Yes, we have no fear. We have no fear. The gospel will be proclaimed. God's kingdom will be established and we will walk in victory because we belong to him. He says, I know you, you are mine, Isaiah 43. So question is this, loved ones. Nothing less than the most important question of your life. Here it is. Do you belong to Christ? Are you a child of Jesus Christ? Have you repented of your sin and confessed him as your Lord and Savior? That's the first step. Because here's the thing. We can't do this life without him and expect to live with any hope. We can't do it on our own. We can't be our own savior. We can't earn our way to heaven. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, says salvation is a free gift. It's not by your work so that no one can boast. 
We can't do it on our own and somehow hope that things are going to turn out okay. And if you've made that decision to follow Christ, here's a follow-up for you, loved ones, brothers and sisters. Are you living with a wartime mentality and commitment to him in your fight against sin? A wartime mentality. Not just on the side when I get around to it moment. A wartime mentality. Here's the thing about um, a wartime mentality with a soldier. My brother-in-law is in the U.S. Navy. And he says the first step is you pick up your weapon. How do I live with a wartime mentality? Pick up his word, the sword of the spirit. Get into it every day. Not some legalistic, great, I'll just check the box. And what, if we're gonna be recognizing the threat, but also recognizing the power that is in us that is greater, we need to be drawing near to him if we're gonna live with certainty. This is absolute truth, it will not change. Drawing near to him through his word each day. Here's another one, wartime mentality. Fighting on the mantle of prayer. On our knees, I love the expression. Hey men, men, here's an expression for you. Get on your knees and fight like a man. Prayer unleashes the power of God. Intercede for your families. Intercede for your wives. Intercede for this church. Intercede for your classmates. Intercede for your coworkers. The mantle of prayer. So draw near to him through his word each day. Pick up your sword, the sword of the spirit. Fighting him on the mantle of prayer. Wartime mentality. Here's another one. Fighting together as the church. What you're doing right now, when you come to corporate worship on Sunday mornings, you're saying, I'm standing up for the Lord. I'm in the fight. Why do you think the enemy works so hard to keep you from coming to church? We had small groups launch this week. Oh, praise the Lord. What a powerful week. But I just surveyed the room at our small group. I said, guys, how many of you had a rough day today? Mm-hmm. Yep. How many of you had a rough time getting to church this morning? Conflicts and impediments. You think that's a coincidence? See, but when you come, because why? Because Satan knows the power that's in this room. When the Spirit of God comes and two or three gather together, the power of prayer nights. Why do you think he doesn't want to make prayer nights a priority in the church? Next one's February 28th, by the way. Okay, okay, come, come. Call on the Lord, fight in intercession for one another. We need one another. One of the greatest abilities God's given us is the ability to fight together. All right? So where are you being influenced by the world and not living the life of distinction that we're called? Where are you willingly coming under the influence of the world that you are no longer a slave to? Its values, its priorities, its systems. Where are you elevating those in your life when God's like, no, 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 elevate me here. Where is that area, loved ones? Here's some. Maybe it's your work. Maybe it's the entertainment choices you have. And there's good, listen, loved ones, there's good movies out there. But what are you using as your value and priority as the standard for you choose what you watch? Video games, personal integrity, your lifestyle, your thought life, where are you coming under the influence of the world? And some of you may say this, I want to be very tender here, very gentle right here, because I'm, we're in this together, loved ones. I'm preaching to myself right now. I want to be very tender with this because some of us will sit here and say, it is so hard. The temptations are strong and the discouragement is so great. Right, right, brothers and sisters? Yes, we're in this together. Let's not try to have it all packaged coming to church, okay? We're in this together. I want to give you just an encouraging truth. This, I heard it this week at our elders retreat. God will never command from us what he's not willing to do in us. That is glorious gospel truth. God will never command from us something of which he's not willing to do in us first. He says, be holy because I'm holy. Guess what? In my protection and the power I'm gonna give you to live a holy life. I call you to purity. I'm gonna give you the power for it. I call you to integrity. I'm gonna give you the conviction for it. He will never call us to do something that he's not willing to do in us first. When we belong to him and have his protection over us and his power in us, he promises to give us all we need for life and godliness and live out our freedom in him. You say, hey, give me a life verse for that. Here's one, 2 Peter 1, 3 to 4. 
so ministered this week by this verse. It says this, his divine power has granted to us all things, that, all things, all things that pertain to life and godliness, holiness, living holy lives. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he's granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them, standing on them in faith, you may become partakers of the divine nature. There it is, growing more in Christ's image, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Yes. Amen. Amen. All right? Be in the world, but not of the world. Okay? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your light and glorify your God, Father in heaven. If I am in Christ, I can be certain I'm protected by Christ. I have victory over sin. I belong to Christ. I'm not enslaved to the world anymore. You say, I'm not enslaved to that. I don't have to give in to that. I'm in Jesus Christ. He's going to give me the power for that. And if I belong to Christ, last point today is this. I can be certain that I have understanding from Christ. I have understanding from Christ. Look at verse 20. John goes on to say, and we know, there it is again, certainty, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Okay, he says, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. What's that? What's understanding? Here it is, Greek, insight or critical thinking. He's given us insight, wisdom. Wisdom of what? That Jesus Christ, by coming to earth, that he's come, verse 20, and by having a personal relationship with him, that means in him, verse 20, we now have been given the understanding or wisdom to know God who is absolute truth. So you have the wisdom, you have the understanding, you know, that's true, that's a deception. This is true, this is not. Why? Because the one who, oh, I love that. The word true there, by the way, you may know him who is true in the middle of the verse 20. You know what that means? In Greek, real or genuine. Real truth, genuine truth. It is literally, love this, it is literally a description of the one who is, who, <laughs> who is made of truth. The nature of God is truth. God is the source of all truth. His very makeup is truth. You may know what and who is true. And this is why, loved ones, it makes it so clear. This is why the truth is not relative because God is not relative. He is the truth. That's his nature. That's his makeup. You say, well, I gotta get my head around that. Let the Holy Spirit help you with that. Ask him for clarity. Ask him for understanding. Truth is not relative because God is not relative. He doesn't change, so the truth doesn't change either. No matter how the world's systems or priorities or perspectives under the power of Satan says it can. It doesn't. How do you know this? How do you know God never changes and therefore truth never changes? Just look at Malachi 3.6. You'll see it on the screen. For I, the Lord, don't change. It's pretty clear. I don't change. You can say, yeah, but, but the Greek. You know what the Greek means? He doesn't change. Okay, still not convinced? What about this Jesus is the son of God? Okay, let's just hop out of Hebrews 13.8. Right here. See, Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday, today, and everyone say it together. Forever. He's the same. He's not changing. But the truth changed. No, truth doesn't change because God doesn't change. He is truth. And this is the verse. This verse 20 right here is the verse that summarizes the entire letter we've just spent 19 weeks going through. This is everything. This is the climax right here, loved ones. The fact that Jesus Christ is the true God and the Son of God and became a man to give us eternal life is the truth that is the foundation for all others. And the, hey, know this, know this. And the, you might be here and you're like, man, I just got dragged here. I thought I was going for breakfast. No, listen, listen, here you go. You're here because God has brought you here and the reality is this, how you choose to make a decision to either receive or reject that truth that Jesus Christ is the son of God and the only savior of the world is what your entire life hinges upon. You say, that's pretty heavy. Yeah, it is. It's like your whole eternity. 
That's the question. What you do with that truth is what everything hinges upon for you because it's so clear. If we are not walking in the truth, you will walk in deception. Why? Because you can't outsmart your enemy. Jesus came to give you understanding, to recognize truth. from You can't outsmart Satan and think you can somehow do this on your own. The only one who can outsmart your enemy or give wisdom for you to walk in the truth is the one who is greater than him. That's it. And that's why John finishes the letter with this. Notice this. Look how he ends this letter, verse 21. So abrupt. It's like he went and took a little break and then came back and said, oh yeah, one more thing. Just throw this in. Look at this. Verse 21. Little children, keep yourself from idols. It's not like, see you later. Looking forward to coming to you soon. Oh yeah, one more thing. Keep yourself from idols. But when you look at it in the context, it makes perfect sense. Watch. Watch this. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Because there is a true God, then there will be counterfeit or false gods all around us in this world. Idols. Because there's true, there's going to be counter, there's going to be false gods, counterfeit ones. I call these small g gods. Small g gods in this world that will beckon. You notice this? They just beckon for us to worship them. Worship me. Worship me. Now the word keep there, he says, keep yourself from idols. You know what the picture for for that is it means to guard or protect or be vigilant guard protect see there is the military mindset guard protect or be vigilant against trusting in and revering them in our lives the picture here john gives us of a military guard standing at the post check this out i was so i love this picture right here this is the united states this is the tomb of the unknown soldier these guards are standing there 24 hours a day seven days a week And look at that, right in the middle of a storm. That was the precursor of like a hurricane that was coming. They didn't leave their post. They were vigilant. They were vigilant. They were resolved. They were willing to make the sacrifices to stay faithful. They would not abandon their post or their lives. And now look at, you'll see one in Canada, right down the street. There it is, Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Nicer weather that day. Here they are, standing at their post. They're not abandoning that. Vigilant, ready. And now, for us, it means to guard oneself from all manner of fellowship or worship of idols, which is called idolatry. What is idolatry? Danny Aiken describes it this way. Anything you love, enjoy, and pursue more than God or Jesus Christ. There it is. What's idolatry? Anything you love, enjoy, or pursue more than Jesus Christ. Man, did I ever get rocked by that this week. Think about the significance of this. Society today is filled with small g gods, just beckoning us to love them and worship them. Every day we're bombarded with them. Here's some examples you'll see on the screen. How about the idol of, of food? This is an idol of food. How about this? Today's Super Bowl Sunday. Guess where the biggest house of worship is going to be in North America? Minnesota. 67,000 people in one stadium, not to mention the millions of others tuning in on TV. Sports can be an idol. How about this? Entertainment. An idol. Loving, pursuing, enjoying more than enjoying Christ. How about this? Our families can become an idol. We can idolize our families and try to seek satisfaction and enjoy them. Why do you think the divorce rate's so high? Because you're trying to put expectations on your spouse that only God is meant to fill. Having a spouse. We idolize having a spouse. You'll see a picture here, getting married. If I just get married and if I just have a spouse, are we pursuing that more than pursuing and enjoying Christ? How about this? Having or raising children. If I just have that, I want to pursue that and enjoy that. How about this? Your body image. If I just had a perfect body image, I'll just pursue that more than pursuing Christ. How about this? Your grades. Students, we've got a lot of students here. How about this? Study hard and get a high GPA. If I just pursue that and I just get enjoy that out of there. How about this? 
our finances. Finances. If I just enjoy our finances, if I can just take pleasure in those, like this, possessions. Possessions. What about this success or accomplishment in our job? If I just pursue the job more than pursue Christ, you're making an idol out of it, loved ones. I say that with great tenderness. I gotta fight that every day. I gotta fight that every day. How about this? Having comfort, pursuing comfort, enjoying comfort more than enjoying Christ. How about this? Doing good works for Christ. That can become an idol. You're trying to earn things, trying to earn favor. How about this? The opinions of others can be an idol for you. If they only accept me, how about this? Yourself, myself, can be an idol real quick. Just take a look at that picture and just hear some of the, hear this. There's a, this is a tender moment right now, loved ones. The Holy Spirit is at work and he's like right there, right there, loved ones. I'm not condemning you, but I'm saying right there, give that over to me right now. That's quenching my spirit in you. That's quenching my work in you. Will you give it over right now? Will you confess it and start walking in freedom? I've given you understanding to know the truth. And I want to clarify something. As you see that screen right there, I want to clarify this. Each of these things in and of themselves, uh, they're not evil. Sports is not evil. Food is not evil. Your family is not evil. Watching a movie is not necessarily evil. Okay? They only become idols when we begin to love them more and pursue them more for our satisfaction than God himself. Why? Because they start to steal our affection from him that only he deserves. And they compete for his glory in our life. You want to know how serious this is to the Lord? Look at Isaiah 42.8. It says this. God says, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Where is that? Last question for the day before we head to communion. Are you keeping yourself from idols? As you heard that list, and we're gonna have communion in a second, that list is gonna be on the screen just to help you really pray through it and say, Lord, where am I seeking possession? With my family? And I'll just use it as evaluation. Where are your small g gods on that list or others that were not? And what's the step right now you know you need to take? And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ here, your first step is to say, I need to repent of my sin, confess the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, as my Lord and Savior, and give my life to him. That's where everything starts for you. It has to, because it's his power that allows us to continue to fight. Know this, Jesus Christ came that you may know the truth, and the truth would set you free. Freedom, loved ones. Don't be enslaved to this world. And if you are in Christ, you can be certain you're protected by him and have victory over sin. That you belong to him, you're not enslaved to this world. And you have understanding from him, you know what is true. And that he is the only true God and the only savior of the world. And the only one deserving of our worship. Amen? And there is no better way to come back to that truth and realign our hearts to God than participating in the Lord's Supper.